title of the message today is Our Friendship with the World. If you would turn with me to the book of James, chapter 4, verse 4. Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And so as we take a moment, let me just give you some background here. And, and there's a wide debate on the authorship of this book of James, but we understand it. And one school of thought is that it was James, the younger brother of Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary. And so as we just kind of look at it a little bit, you know, I, I just want to kind of share a little bit of thoughts of the backdrop of this. As James is writing this epistle to the nation of Israel, but to the 12 tribes of Israel, but specifically to the children of God, to Christians that have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so we see that he kind of gives this thought. As he goes to chapter 4, he has an intended purpose of saying, saints of God, draw near to God. He gives us this theme, draw near to God. We even know that James is the one that penned, you know, that I'll show you my faith, by my work. So a large portion of this is he's looking at and says, how are we practicing and walking out our faith? But in that very first verse of chapter four, he asks a question. He says, where does wars and fighting among you come from? And he goes on to say, from the war that is within your members. And so he's given us an illustration. He's asking us the question, where does war and all the fighting that, that goes on come from? And he says, from the war in your members, that there's an inward fighting that's going on, that there's a wrestling going on. And so as we begin to unfold and answer this question, what is a friend of the world? It's important that we, that we look at some of the definitions and see what scripture says. So let's just look at this word and define friendship. First, we would say, and as we look at synonyms, that it's a fond acquaintance. It's an affection or fondness that we have. And I would tell you, my friend growing up, we loved to hang out with each other. We had a lot of fun together. But as I look back over that time, we didn't do everything right. Anybody had a friend that you used to get in trouble with? Because I remember sometimes that we would do stuff that as I look back as a, uh, as a former of myself, I would be scolding myself saying, don't be doing that. One of, our, one of my remembers, we lived in different neighborhoods, and we had this big ravine between the neighborhoods, kind of like a, a large culvert here. And there was a long pipe that would run across this culvert, this ravine, and it was, it was probably 100 feet long. And we would cross this thing with our bikes to get to each other's house. It was probably about 15 feet to 20 feet deep. And if we fell in it, we would be seriously hurt because it had all kind of crazy stuff in it. We would not only walk across that pipe, we would ride our bikes across that pipe. And I look at this back and I say, did you lose your mind? But my friend and I, we used to encourage each other to do this. Yeah, you can make it, man. You can do it. Come on over to my house. We got stuff that we got to do. And so we would do these things and, and encourage each other to go in some wrong ways and do some wrong things. But as we look at the Old Testament, Old Testament definition of friendship, 
In the Hebrew, it means ray. And it's, uh, oh, it's pronounced ray. And, and, and this friendship is a participle well, form of meaning, one who loves. And so I had an affection and love for my friend. And so when he said certain things to me, it would kind of push me in that direction. And I admit that maybe at times I would do that for him. I would do that to him. And even in the New Testament Greek, we see the word phileo, which means a friendship, a warm affection is where we get phileo love. There's an intimacy. There's a friendly affection for one another. And so we can sway each other in our friendship with one another. And so we go a little bit farther when we look at what is the world, this friendship with the world. It's so important that we understand what is the world. I know some of you are probably saying, well, Pastor, I know that. I know what the world is. You know, we talk about that's, that's, that's them, 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 them people over there that we're supposed to stay away from. But as we look at this a little bit, that, that James has given us a, a, a context of what the world is so that we can really get the grasp of it. See, it, what James is not talking about, he's not talking about creation. He's not talking about this created world that we see, creation. And he's not even so much talking about people, which that's an aspect of it. But let me give you a little bit deeper understanding. It is actually talking about the spirit of this world, the lust and the pride that stands opposed to God. As well, it is anything that is submitted to the rule or the authority of the devil and Satan. So that's truly what the world is. Anything that poses itself against God. The lust and the pride that can get in the way. And the submitting to the rule and authority of the prince of this world. And let me explain that explanation and give you a little bit more of it. See, we go back all the way to the book of Genesis. We see Adam and Eve were told by God, just interact with me. Walk with me, talk with me, spend time with me. They were being influenced by the spirit of God, which was good. Would you agree? And then they went on a little bit farther, and, 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 and Satan came into the garden, and he started whispering in their ear, and they listened to Satan, and, and, and there started to be an influence. He influenced them by pride and lust. against God. And so there was this wicked spirit, this prideful and lustful spirit that started speaking into their ear. But then there was this, there was a choice to obey the influence and the voice of God or to obey the influence and the voice of Satan. And so they chose to disobey they chose to disobey God, and they fell into sin and separation from God. And God said, at the moment that you do this, you will surely 
die. Because if we go forward to, to James, the fourth chapter, chapter uh, verse 4, James said this, he says, do you not, do you think the scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? See, there was a taking upon of a, of a different spirit now, the spirit of lust and envy. The spirit of death and disobedience. And so there was this egotistical, prideful desiring that came upon all mankind. Desiring to get whatever I want. Desiring to get whatever I think. Or desiring to see regardless of what is right or wrong what I want to see, and living by my own pride. It infiltrated all of mankind. This is the world that James is talking about. It is not out there somewhere. I know this is going to hit us, and I think as we, as we meditate on it, we'll, we'll understand it. It is inside every human being. As the scriptures tell us, we were shaped in iniquity. That it did something to our fleshly being. It caused us to think and act a certain way. But do you know there's hope? Amen. Would you look with me in Ephesians 2, verse 2 and 3. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation. In times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. See, if we're not careful, we can kind of do the, oh, it's all the others. And we can forget about the world that's still dwelling and trying to afflict us. We even see that in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as he was being tempted by the devil. Look in Matthew 4, verse 8 through 10. It says again, the devil, was, the devil took him up on an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. See, Jesus did not and would not allow himself to go along with Satan's plans as the prince of the world of pride and lust. 
Jesus spoke God's word not only to Satan, but he spoke it to himself. See, the, Jesus was fully God and fully man. He was tempted like us in every way. See, so often we can think that Jesus didn't, he's not acquainted with our sorrows, our afflictions, but he was. And we're reminded what he said. He says, I do nothing but what my father tells me to do. So friendship with the world means going along with, living in, agreeing with, and loving the lust of the flesh and the driving spirit behind it. The spirit of Satan and the spirit of self, self, self. Jesus was not just talking was not just speaking the word of God. He was proclaiming the word of God. Knowing that there is power in God's word. And see, we also see that John, as we talked in the last couple of weeks about him sharing and speaking about the fellowship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, John wrote this in 1 John 2, verse 15 through 17. He said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world. He started explaining it a little bit, how we can know and identify the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world passes away. He says it's temporary. It's not going to last. But that word lust means a strong desire. Do you know that that's not a, we, we, we see that as a bad word, but the scriptures tell us to, to lust after God and his righteousness. Have a strong desire for him. But Satan has perverted things in this world, and so we have a strong desire of the flesh. And maybe you and, and maybe others have experienced that, that there's a satisfying that sits within us that tries to tempt us to satisfy the flesh, either sexually or, or with some addictive thing, whether it's drugs or habits or even food, that this flesh wants to take over. That there's a lust, there's a strong desire for it to do what it wants to do. See, John Lair, who is an American theater critic, he said this. He says, society drives people crazy with lust and calls it advertising. See, we just pick up our phone or watch TV. And before we know it, there's something that tries to draw that flesh to lust after it. And habits. And so John is talking about this. He says, know that this is in the world. That there's this lust of the flesh. There's also this lust of the eyes. Wanting what others have. We see something and we got to have it. Anybody ever been in the store and you just, that impulse buying? You walk in there intending to buy one thing and you come out with three other things. And so there's this strong desire of the eye. And there's this strong desire to take and not give. See, in Scripture it calls it covetousness. 
that we're wanting something that we're not, that God didn't have for us. That we didn't do anything to get it, we just want to take it. And then John talks about that pride of life. That we can be prideful. We can exalt ourselves above others. Without intellect, we can desire for position to be above others. We can even desire for social status, the pride of life. You see, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, revenge, lust, ambition, pride, and self-will are too often exalted as gods of man's idolatry. While holiness, peace, contentment, and humility are viewed as unworthy of a serious thought. That we can get our focus off of God and get it on ourselves. We can start thinking things like the world and society that says it's all fair in love and war. You ever heard that? The means justify the end. Maybe you've heard something in the world, you better get them before they get you. Before you know it, we can have this pride that's building up on the inside of us. Many years that I served in the Army, this is something that the Lord just continued to prick me, saying, Jeff. Don't go that way. See, they give you all these medals every time. It's like you heard General Patton say you can win wars with a whole lot of medals. And what they do is they put all these medals on your chest and give you all these awards around your neck. And before you know it, your, your chest is out a little bit higher and you're sticking and you're thinking you're God's gift to the world. You're Captain America. He's my favorite superhero, but you get the message. You start drinking the Kool-Aid. Before you know it, you start stepping over people. You start missing the intimate times that God wants us to pour out of ourselves for one another. See, Billy Graham said it best. He says, there may have been a time when pride was the very center of your life. You had ambitious thoughts of yourself, your powers, your desires, your aims. But now that will begin to change. You have been born again. Glory. Pride comes in looking at yourself. Meekness comes through looking at God. And as we draw nigh to him, we humble ourselves. So I charge you and challenge you today, saints, be not friends with the world that's in you. It rages at times. You got to give it a punch, knock it down. Keep it submitted to the spirit of God. Walk in the spirit so you should not fulfill the lust of the flesh. See, Paul gave us these words in 2 Corinthians 4, 
verse 1 through 4. He says, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy. Anybody here receive mercy? We faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Don't be the one that's hiding it. In whom the God of this world have blinded the minds of them which believe not. Least the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. See, that's what these young people are doing. They're going to Mexico and South Africa to shine the light of Christ. I'm so thankful for Miss Grace and what God is showing her. See, God wants us to know that it's not about us, but it's all about him. And allow ourselves to be transformed by him. So let me share with you what should a Christian's relationship be with the world as we understand that we can't have fellowship with the world. And that we don't want to have friendship, we don't want to be in love with the world. But there's a relationship that a Christian should be with the world. The world of your flesh. The world of your eyes. The world of your pride. The first and foremost in the world, but not of the world. Be not of the spirit of this world. John 17, 14, 15 reminds us of, of that. Jesus said, I have given them your word. And the word has, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Did y'all hear that? Just like Paul, there's going to be some suffering. There's going to be some affliction. But that you should keep them from the evil one. See, the evil one comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I come that you may have life and life more abundantly. So you don't worry about what the devil do. You just keep trusting the Lord and watch him show up mightily. The second point, what should you as Christians, what should your relationship be with the world? Not conformed to the world, but transformed. Don't conform to this world. Don't be shaped by this world and the desires of it. Romans 12, 2 and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, saints, that means we need to study. We need to get into God's word because it is the word of life. It is what will transform us. It was, is what will make us in his image and mold us. See, the world wants to tell you and show you the way to go. 
wants to push you in a certain direction. It wants to give you its appetite. But it's so important that our mind and our heart be washed with the Spirit. David said it this way. He said, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me, O Lord. That's something we all should be desiring and seeking. The third point of what should a Christian relationship be with the world, not unequally yoked together. See, in this context, that word yoke means to be bound together. As putting a yoke around the oxen and you're bound to it. The word of God tells us not to be bound to this world, not to be bound with unbelievers. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And so hear me clearly. If you are unmarried, do not compromise because you think you've been waiting so long. Don't compromise because you will get bound up with something you definitely don't want. And so God is saying, be patient. Trust him. As he is doing the work in you, he's doing the work in them. And he'll show himself faithful and mighty. The fourth point of this relationship with the world be strangers and pilgrims. Let them think you crazy. Let them think you weird and from a different country. It's okay. First Peter 2, 11 and 12. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. See, people are seeing how you live. They may not understand. They may not get it. But it speaks mightily of the transformative work of God through Jesus Christ. So he says, allow yourself to be a stranger and a pilgrim. It's not your home. You don't have to adjust to this place, to these conditions. You're just on visitation. We're like a puff of smoke here today and gone tomorrow. So allow yourself to be that stranger. Be strange enough to say no to the ways of this world, to the culture of sin and the spirit of disobedience. See, I love what Romans 8, 22 through 23 reminds us of. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. 
and not only they, but also ourselves, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to with the redemption of our body. See, the creation is groaning, and the new creation is groaning. That's why you, b- before you came to Christ, you could do what you want in, in, in no conscience, and there was no issue with it. But once you came to Christ, there was a groaning that occurred. There was a wrestling. There was a fighting against spirit and flesh. You are a spiritual being. There is going to be some groaning. That's how you can know that you are God. And so don't, d- d- don't get out of source because of that. Creation's doing it. We're doing it. God has a beautiful plan for you and I. So let the groaning continue. Because you are made by the living God. And he's going to redeem, redeem your whole body. It ain't going to groan forever. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. These light afflictions are not worthy to be compared with the eternal weight of glory that we revealed in us. See, God's going to right the ship. He's going to put it all back in order. And you know what? God sees every moment, every second of your groaning. He understands what you're going through. He loves us so much. He's got, a, he's got a reward for each and every one of us. Jesus is sitting at the judgment seat with those rewards, waiting for you to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And then the last point in this relationship with the world, shine, oh shine, people of God, shine as lights in the world so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. See, the world is in darkness and so in need of light. And we are the light of the world because the light shines through us. If you proclaim the name of Christ, if you've been made a new creation, if all of your sins have been pardoned, you are no longer darkness, but you are light. And there are going to be some, there are going to be those that love darkness more than light, so they're going to hate you. But there's somebody, there's a whosoever that is seeking to come out of that darkness. And as your light shines, they're looking through that darkness to that light. And they're walking towards that light the light of Christ in you. 
so we don't love the world so that our light goes dim. But we love the Lord so our light that sits on a hill shines brightly to the whole world. And that's the relationship that we have with this world. We shine as light because he is the light.